Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are happy to have you here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. And I want to thank everybody for the feedback last week on the Terry Funk interview. And uh, the week before that on Scott Hall, I was blessed to have two of the smartest, wittiest uh, guys in the entire history of pro wrestling to be back-to-back guests. And uh, actually, this week we have a smart, witty guy, too. He's just not a Hall of Famer yet, but uh, there's plenty of time for that as well. We'll get to him in just a moment. His name is Matt Stryker, and he is uh, a man who wears a lot of hats in this business and has an interesting story to tell and is actually one of the smartest guys uh, I've come across in this business as far as being knowing the history and, and, and being a student of the game which is always fun to talk to people like that. One of these days when Mike today comes out of his, uh, his, uh, his retirement, self-imposed retirement, uh, uh, he has promised uh, that this is one of the first podcasts he will do. And uh, I, we will do probably a similar, uh, although we have a lot of stories that we've experienced together where me and Matt have only met a couple of times, but uh that's the type of uh, of uh, talk I expect to have with with Matt Stryker, the same type of talk you'd have with Mike Tanay, a guy who's a student of the game who knows the history. So it should be fun, and um, we're going to get right to it in just a minute. Just want to remind you to hit us up, if you haven't already, on Twitter, at David Penzer. Uh, at Penzer Ringside is the Twitter for the show, and... Uh, we appreciate you uh, supporting our sponsors. We appreciate you subscribing, spreading the word. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends and neighbors and let people know. I very much appreciate it. And we will continue to work hard uh, to bring you some great guests. I got, I've got. i been talking to some big names. So, uh, uh, so we're going to keep trying to uh, outdo ourselves each and every week, although some weeks it is impossible. You cannot follow up Terry Funk. I'm sorry, you just can't. Uh, so we didn't even pr- try, uh, but we got somebody who I believe will be entertaining and refreshing, and I'm looking forward to his take on, on the business. So uh, without further ado, let's get right to it. Please welcome former WWE superstar and commentator Matt Stryker. We are joined with a man who wears a lot of hats these days in the world of professional wrestling internationally and also here in North America. And uh, we're going to listen to his story and uh, how he got involved in the business. And we're going to get to at the hopefully at the end of the podcast, a little insight on all the different projects that he currently works on. I'm talking about none other than Matt Stryker. Matt, welcome to City Ringside. Glad to have you. Oh, thank you for saving a seat for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> You're the first one since uh, Lex Luger to play along, and I was shocked that Lex played along because you know Lex, Lex, Lex doesn't always uh, doesn't always play good, but uh, he does these days. But uh, <laughs> so uh, glad to have you on. Uh, I I know we've met briefly a couple of times. Uh, one time at the Legends of Wrestling at at uh, Shea Stadium, 
Uh, you made a surprise a surprise appearance there and uh, uh, participated in the show. And I know from talking to you there that you are a master of professional wrestling. Tell us a little bit uh, about how you got uh, to be a fan in the business, who got you involved, uh, what age, and, and what, what, what was your fancy, WCW, WWE, a little bit of everything? Well, uh, it all started with my father. I was seven years old and he asked me a simple question. He said, do you want to see someone fly? And no seven-year-old is going to say no to that. And living in New York, he turned on the television and we saw Superfly Jimmy Snuka. And from that moment, I became hooked. And now that I'm older, I realize my father must have seen how enamored I was because we connected immediately over the wrestling. And I remember, so that was on a Saturday. On that Monday, he came home with my first three wrestling magazines. And again, in hindsight, he must have realized that he's going to get his seven-year-old to read by giving him wrestling magazines and comic books and things like that. So it just took off from there. Um, I would flip around the channels and... There would be UHF before cable. Yes, and Florida, Florida wrestling would come on in Spanish with Hugo Savinovich. And from there, I, I just realized it was this whole world. So between living in New York and being exposed to WWF at the time, having access to UHF in Florida, and then the wrestling magazines, I became a fan of every territory from Puerto Rico to the Pacific Northwest to everything in between. Sounds kind of like my story. I grew, although I grew up on wrestling from Florida and watched uh, and watched uh, New York wrestling on uh, WOR. I didn't realize I knew that Florida wrestling was on in up up north, uh, but I didn't realize it in Spanish. But I didn't realize it was Hugo Savinovich who was the uh, the play by play guy. So wow, learn something new every day. Oh, I, I don't know if he was the play by play guy. He might have been managing. I believe it might have been the medics at the time. And to bring it full circle, I end up being trained by Johnny Rods. So all of it for me was part of divine wind, if you ask me. Yeah, everybody has a story like that. And it's amazing, Matt, how many people, we've done this uh, weekly now for over a year and talked to a lot of different people, guys, gals, uh, in the business, legends and, and newcomers and everybody, everything in between. It's amazing how many people uh, in their childhood watch wrestling as a way to uh, – to to get to know a father or a mother or an uncle or it, it seemed to be a big bonding uh experience back back in those days uh so your story is is is, is pretty uh consistent with a lot that we hear uh before we talk about uh hooking up with johnny rods uh i i did not know until i started doing research for this interview that uh you were into acting a little bit as a kid how did that happen and uh and why did that uh go by the wayside well it, it hasn't gone by the wayside it's just not something that i i tout so much um growing up my grandfather managed a guy by the name of perry como uh, some of the older listeners may remember perry or maybe even you i know, you know? i know perry como sure so uh there was always a showbiz connection and uh, one day, my grandmother started taking me on auditions. We lived very close to New York City. I got a few commercials and a couple of spots on TV. But then I was at Madison Square Garden. And this was during the height of the rock and wrestling connection. So everyone that was anyone was there. And Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo were at the show. And they saw this kid just 
screaming his head off and cheering for the bad guys and booing the good guys. And they went up to my father and said, would your son like to audition for a movie that we're doing? Turned out to be the movie was Wise Guys. Captain Lou Albano played Frankie the Fixer. And from there, that's where the uh, the whole acting bug uh, you know, bit me. And just uh, two weeks ago, I filmed a series of commercials for uh, STP uh, home motor oil treatments and things like that. So I'm still very much involved. It's something that I really enjoy. And it's it's close to wrestling. If you think about it, <laughs> we're all just actors. Sure. Did you did you continue to pursue it as a child uh, or is after you had that role or would you have had to move out to L.A. and all that at the time? And just wondering. Uh, I, I did a bunch of other stuff till see. I also was started playing hockey when I was about eleven years uh-huh. old, and when I was sixteen, I had an opportunity to uh, to play on some traveling tournaments and some real higher level stuff. And you know, at, at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, you you don't want to go into the city on auditions. You want to go to Montreal and Toronto and go and play in these tournaments. So I went away from acting to play hockey and then I became a school teacher and, you know, life got in the way and then wrestling came about, but I always kept my affiliations with the union and every so often I put out feelers. But now that the wrestling career is changing for me, I'm back into it more, you know, as far as the acting goes. Well, we had um, Terry Funk on the podcast last week and I was talking to Terry a little bit off uh, before we did the, the, the podcast and the days before and, he credits uh, his time in, in uh, the union to having incredible insurance. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he looks at a lot of the, the his uh, counterparts in professional wrestling that, you know, uh, you know, have health issues and struggle to get by. And he said that his 15 years is um, uh, SAG, I think, SAG after, after yes, something sir. like that. I, I just mm-hmm. butchered that, but I uh, I think I was close. <laughs> they don't mind. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> he said that the, his, his his medical insurance is, is first rate, and he was very proud of that. So uh, so glad you're still pursuing that. So you found Johnny Rods. Um, I actually know a lot of people who were trained by Johnny Rods. How, how did you hook up with him? Was it just a natural because of, uh, of, of him being in New York City and you living in that area? Well, I'm I'm a faith guy. Everyone has their own things. But for me, there are no coincidences. And as I began to bond with my father over wrestling, my father would tell me stories how he and his father, my grandfather, would watch wrestling. And my dad would always tell me that every time this one wrestler came on TV, my grandfather would take his shoe off and hurl it at the television. So that's a very you know vivid image for a child. And the wrestler was Johnny Rods. Fast forward, I'm much older. I'm working out in the gym, and this is long before everyone had a wrestling (laughs) T-shirt. And I see a a kid, another young guy, wearing a wrestling T-shirt. We strike up a conversation. A couple of days later, he comes in with a – this is in the infancy of the internet – a very crude printout of some wrestling schools in the area. Now, mind you – I didn't know you could train to be a wrestler. I thought you were just born Tommy Rich. You know, I had no (laughs) idea you could learn how to do this. And, and sir, the second name on the list, you didn't need to hit me over the head, Johnny Rods, uh, School of Unpredictable Wrestling. Well, I went and I drove around the, the school 10 times, getting up the courage to go in there with a pocket of crumpled up uh, cash in my pocket. He went in and, and Johnny and I talked and I put my money down and the rest is history. 
There's there's a line there for everybody is born Tommy Rich, but I'm going to stay away from that line. Well, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but there's something there, and I'm going to like not even go there, especially in the world we live in now. Hey, you know, it's funny, not that this has anything to do with, with your story, but it's funny because you mentioned and we were talking about how so many people bonded with their, their, their parents or their fathers over professional wrestling. I, I, I was just thinking as you're talking about, uh, you know, your, your father and then your father and his and his his father and my dad used to take me to the matches, but he, he couldn't stand it. He would read. T- he was a psychologist, so he was, you know, uh, uppity, you know, doctor. So he would actually sit there in the middle of the madness that is championship wrestling from Florida with dusty bleeding and 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 bull ropes and and all that. And he'd read Time magazine the whole time. <laughs> he wouldn't look up once until I'd said, "Dad, it's time to go." Okay. Then he put his little. He put a little crease in the magazine. And uh, so he knew where to continue. But uh, so really wasn't a bonding moment for me, but I'm glad it was for you. But uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) me and my dad bonded over my 25 years of anxiety. But that's a whole nother situation. (laughs) Hey, I did. I did uh, getting totally off topic, but back on topic. I did uh, when I was uh, looking up a little bit about your independent career, I did realize that. Uh, just a couple of years in the business, you did a um, a house show and actually participated in a Piper's Pit and kind of held your own for somebody that was young. I was really impressed at your ability to 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 cut a promo. I, you know, almost everybody is, especially that are fans, are intimidated around Piper the first time they're with him. Tell me about that experience as a wrestling fan. How was that? And 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 how did you was was your promo ability just natural or is it something that you worked on? Well, uh, first and foremost, Roddy Piper was and is my all-time favorite personality. When all of my friends were rooting for the Hulk Hogan's and, and you know the Jimmy Snookers of the world, I always loved the antagonist. So to have the opportunity to be in there with him, that in and of itself was a victory. But I will say this about anyone that ever met Roddy, he was so warm and engaging, and we didn't have any preparation. He just, he saw me in, in, the, in the locker room. He said, oh, 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 what's your name, kid? I said, Matt. He goes, okay, Matt, we're going to go out there. We're going to have a good time. And then he flashed that smile that if you know, if you knew Roddy, you knew that smile. And it just put me at ease. And again, it go, it'll always go back to faith. Something came over me. And, and this happens to me quite a bit where if you just, you know, you, you surrender and you just don't think about what you're going to say and go in the moment. And I think that's something that's truly missing from a lot of the things I see today in all fields of entertainment. It should be organic. It should be in the moment, not prepared, not rehearsed. So when we went out there, I just felt something else take over. Roddy is fantastic. You, you can't mess up with him you know, standing next to you. So those two elements made for a positive experience. And between that and the acting and being a a precocious kid and always calling out in school and imitating my favorite wrestlers, the, the promo or interview ability was always there. Yeah. I'd spent 40 days on a tour bus crisscrossing the country with Roddy Piper. So, uh, I know that smile and he is, he, he, he is, uh, uh, was God bless him. One of the warmest guys in the world. But if you work for him, he expected you to do your job. And uh, so, how dare he? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I love Roddy to this day and uh, uh, an honor to get to know him and, and be his friend and work with him. But uh, uh, as warm as he could be, if uh, if you screwed up, you knew about it. So uh, <laughs> uh, he's a businessman. Hey, God bless him. Uh, yeah. 
Anyway, so it seems like, and it gets a little muddied, and, you know, the Internet is a strange thing because, you know, there's everything there, but sometimes it's there's nothing in depth. So I was trying to see how uh, you actually debuted for WWE, and it seems like, but correct me if I'm wrong, that you actually were in for a one-off uh, versus Kurt Angle, and your one-off got a little bit of news uh in in the area because of you being a teacher is that true or was that always planned to be a series of matches well it was not it was not planned to be a series of matches i didn't the, think uh, so. i had i had done some you know some some extra work but not uh enhancement matches i w- appeared in a king of the ring video and things like that through a promoter named jim kettner in the delaware area to whom i owe a, a ton of of credit and uh, then I had an issue as a school teacher. I was taking sick days instead of personal days to go wrestle in Japan. Uh, listen, I was a kid. You know, I, I made certain decisions and had certain priorities. And the the school board had uh, had found out about it. And one of the the uh, the chair people, chairpersons of the school, she she was not a nice lady, and she did not like me. And she just chose to organize this witch hunt against me. And the newspapers picked up on the story. It must have been a really slow news week because every the AP ran it. Everyone ran it. CNN called me. Everyone was running the story about uh, did Board of Ed body slams teacher and every other silly headline you can think of. And uh, the powers that be at WWE at the time, I believe, were Tommy Dreamer and Court Bauer. They called me up and they said, listen, we're in the Meadowlands. You're in the newspaper. We know you wrestle. Uh, we've seen you before. Come in and you'll, you'll wrestle Kurt Angle. Okay, cool. And uh, it's one of those three minutes, and if you win, you get the gold medal. And again, not giving too much away, but it was supposed to be quick and done as Kurt continued to beat local talent. But again, divine win came, and instead of it ending in a minute and a half, it ended at two minutes and 59 seconds. One second left on the clock in my hometown. Everyone is jumping up and cheering, and it goes back to an organic moment that that Vince McMahon will always be chasing the real organic moment. I walked back through that curtain, and I thought I screwed up. And he stood up, Vince McMahon, threw off his headset and said it was great television, and that was fantastic. And then Kurt Angle came back through the curtain, and he put his hand on me, and he said, man, he apologized that it went long or whatever. He said, but I'm going to go talk to someone because – if nothing else, you didn't panic and you showed poise and you were a performer and you didn't go into business for yourself. All these terms that I, I had never heard of before. <laughs> and then and then the next night, uh, John Laurinaitis, oh, listen, we're going to give you a contract and see what happens. And okay. And then I had a few other matches with Kurt and like they say, the rest is history. I see, I sense a, a theme here of divine intervention, so it makes me even more look forward to asking you how divine intervention played into Triple Mania uh, this year. Uh, <laughs> but but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. We got a long way to go. But uh, so you uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You went to Deep South Wrestling. Jody Hamilton was Bill Demott uh, the trainer at the time. Yes, and Bill and I have the Johnny Rods connection. He sure. was trained Johnny as well, and Bill is a Northeast guy. He was from New Jersey. 
And uh, it's very interesting because they had me immediately up on TV. From, from the moment I wrestled Kurt Angle to the next day signing a contract, I had been going to TV. Wrestling, you know, preliminary matches, matches on, at the time it was Sunday Night Heat and a few other here and there matches. And then uh, maybe six months in, they said, we're going to send you down to, to Deep South and, uh, and you'll learn psychology and you'll, you'll learn how to work. I said, okay, great. And it's funny because... I guess I didn't understand when they said we're going to send you down to Deep South and they sent me the address. I packed up my car and drove down to Atlanta. I thought that's what you do. They said, N-. I had gotten there. I, I got a, an apartment. I set myself up and they said, no, no, no. We, we would have set you up. We would have told you where to go. <laughs> so it just shows, you know, you're eager and you're naive, but that's a good thing. And two weeks later, I got a call and they said, okay, you can go home. And I said, I, I, I just got here. I, I just got an apartment. I said, would it be okay if I stay and, you know, work out and do the classes, whatever. And again, they thought that was the greatest thing in the world. You know, oh, this kid really wants it. But again, I was just too dumb to realize if I would have turned around and gone home, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I got to work with, with Jody Hamilton and uh, with Neil Pruitt, who did a lot of the NWO vignettes and got to meet people that I could would never meet Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong, rest his soul. And Dr. Death, Steve Williams came down. And my gosh, there was just so much opportunity there. It, it was the best thing for me. Compare training under Jody Hamilton to training under Johnny Rods. Huh. Uh, well, first thing with Johnny, I walked in and for about the first, I want to say six weeks, uh, they didn't, the term is smarten me up. They didn't tell me that there's a way to do these things. They just beat you up. And then Johnny, at the time he was still active and in the ring, being a, I'm a smaller guy. Then Johnny took the next six weeks teaching me how to defend myself and it's not self offense it's self defense i'm not saying i can beat everyone up but i can create enough space to run away from you if you're trying to hurt me that's how i look at it and then from there it just i learned those things and then it's go ahead throw you into the fire when i went to train with jody hamilton they always say that that northern wrestling and southern wrestling are two entirely different things. So there were a few instances of which way you turned on a drop kick. Or, for instance, Johnny Rods showed me a certain way to fall on your side, called a side bump. Sometimes fans will remember Ric Flair on a back body drop would always take a side bump, not a flat back bump. Oh, yeah. And I went. And I went down to Deep South and I'm taking side bumps on certain tackles and logical things. Because when you run into someone, you don't always fall down on your back. That's that's the wrestling, the pro wrestling aspect. If, if you've really been hit in the street, there are times you'll fall onto your side or wherever the impact is. And Jody would kind of pull me aside with that, you know, that draw. And he'd say, oh, you know, that, that side bump there, that, that's old school. I haven't seen that in a long time. And, but I got off Jody because... I knew who the assassins were and I knew that Jody Hamilton could teach me so much. And I also knew, uh, gosh, I'm going to blank on the name, but Jody's partner was very instrumental in Arn Anderson's career. Things of this nature endeared me to a lot of those guys because a lot of the kids in deep South, you know, they had no idea who a Tim Horner was or you know, who uh, Buck Zumhoff or Dick Slater or Buzz Sawyer and, I knew all these guys, and I think that helped. 
uh, Ted Allen, I think, is the name. I was Ted Allen was one of his partners at at a, at a time. Yeah, Ted Allen is the is the guy who uh, who trained Arn Anderson because Arn uh, and Pee Wee Anderson, God rest her soul, Ted got him, them in the business. Yeah, I never realized that. You know, I, how many times have I seen Ric Flair, both as a fan and 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 somebody sitting ringside, so to speak, as an announcer, take a side bump off a off a uh, uh, backdrop? And I never realized that there was a specific reason to take a bump like that. I just always assumed that was his style. Uh, well, I think in Rick's case, it may have been because of, of previous injuries. Sure. But again, th- there are other ways to fall outside of flat back or on your front. That, that was just the point I was trying to illustrate. Yeah, I just, I just uh, you know, sometimes you've been in the business 30 years, you think you've seen it all, and then like a light bulb went in my head. Like, yeah, I've seen that a thousand times, and I never even thought about it. I just thought that was his style. But, uh, you know, considering the guy was in a plane crash, it might be to alleviate the, yeah. the pressure on his back. So... I went back today and and watched your debut promo and because back back in the day when you when you started I uh, I really wasn't uh, watching wrestling uh, so I, I wanted to just be sure that I understood your gimmick and so we were on the same uh, plane and I loved it I freaking loved it and I actually think it could still hold up today in this political environment. Um, <laughs> how much of that was you versus writers, A, and B, how are you feeling after it got, was over? Because they were chanting asshole at you, and you're, bro, you knocked it out of the park, man. And I'm not kissing your ass just because you're on my podcast. I, I, was, I was blown away. I appreciate that coming from you and knowing, you know, some of the, the great talkers that, that you had a, an opportunity to be around. It it. it it goes back to, I, I guess, you know, more of, of the time when, when you were coming up and then some of these other guys, you know, turn on the camera and go. So when I was doing the heat matches and when I had the match with Kurt Angle, there was a promo and they came to me and they gave it to me. And I went out there and I did the promo. And I remember Vince McMahon said to me, you've got a lot of poise on the microphone. Bruh. <laughs> and I guess it got around, you know, if nothing else, this little guy can talk. And throughout that day, they kept coming up with things, coming up with things. And finally, I remember it was uh, Paul Heyman, Dusty Rhodes and Stephanie McMahon were, were three of the different people that I had interacted with over the time. And I said, would it be okay if I made this more my own? And they loved that. So most of what you were hearing and most of the things that you're reacting to as far as being in today's politically correct, that came from me. Uh, I wrote a lot of that. My friend Matt and I would constantly talk about how, you know, alpha male is, is being cut down and everyone's politically incorrect. And I said, you know what? The easiest thing to do is just to go ahead and you know, shoot, as they say, you know, talk for real. So I would make mention to, I think it was same sex marriage or, or smoking marijuana or some of these other things. And of course it's going to get a reaction. Smoking the pot, I think is that what you call smoking it. the pot, which is <laughs> what a high school teacher of mine used to say. So it all goes back to borrowing from real life. Look, Ric Flair again, woo is not his, it's Jerry Lee Lewis's, but if he borrowed it, Anyone and everyone's going to tell you that woo is Ric Flair's. Sure. So, so things of this nature. So I just borrowed from real life and I, I try to hit at real nerves and I still do that today. Everyone can get in their stance and do their, let me tell you something. When I get you in the ring, I'm going to break. No, you're not. 
And I know that you're pretending to be a wrestler. So I figured, let me just go out and do all the things that my teachers used to do. I'll wait. That's the big one. When the crowd's, you know, boo, I'll wait. And you sit back on the desk and you wait. Oh, they hate that because <laughs> we hated it as students. So all those things came in and I, uh, I knew I had them. And I walked back through and I saw Vince and he gave me that wink. And that was it. I, from there on, they knew if nothing else, the kid can talk. Sure. And uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the promo and you're interested, I would uh, suggest you go to uh, YouTube and just you could just put in Matt Stryker debut promo and uh, uh, it comes right up. But uh, I, I, I'm like, so you could cut that promo today and it probably would get you more heat than when you cut it back then. Quite frankly, it'll probably get you the wrong kind of. Uh, heat, though. That's, I don't, well, uh, that's a whole other. We 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 yeah. we've had an ongoing conversation uh, uh, on this podcast of how do you how does how do you get heat without offending anybody in in, in the, the you know in 2018 as a heel, but uh, you know that's a whole other conversation that we've we've kind of do- dove into in the past. So <laughs> I think the, I think the climate is ripe for a Archie Bunker type. <laughs> antagonist I, I really do if not so much in the wrestling world a comedian or a television show or just something like that because everything is so proper and uh, you know on point so yeah it's a whole other uh, bring me back i'm booking myself again bring me back on another show you know they keep saying they're gonna do a reboot of all in the family which is one of my favorite shows of all time uh and and I just don't understand how you could do that in today's society. I'd love to see it done, a modern version of that in today's political climate. I think the closest was Roseanne, and not defending and what, what happened to that. And, well, not defending what she said because it was dumb, or what you know. I don't know if she said it or she. I guess she tweeted something, but uh, it was it was no excuse for that. But you know that was the end of that, and they've killed her off on oxycotton. I think for uh, for the new season, so. Yeah, I just don't know how you do it. But uh, look, I'm I'm the biggest non politically incorrect person in the world. But you have to learn. Uh, uh, you have to kind of uh, adapt to the surroundings you're living in, and uh, the surroundings are very different. Um, so, with all due respect, after pumping you up on how great that opening promo was, what the hell went wrong? Because six months later, Eugene is writing that you like poop on a chalkboard. I don't know if anything went wrong. Listen, for me, I was still involved. I was still on TV. That's true. There was nine minutes that they could have given to John I was, Cena. But I, was being over to dr- I was being over dramatic, but. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if it went wrong. I think the, the, the writers in all their infinite wisdom said, okay, teacher, smart, uh, Eugene, uh, supposed to be mentally challenged. Ooh, perfect rivalry, perfect feud. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's writing on a chalkboard that you like poop. And, and, and uh, I don't know, in, in my mind, that just takes all that heat that you got from all that stuff that you said uh, away and makes it into a laugh. But, uh, sure. hey, I'm old school. What, what the hell do I know? So you moved to ECW. Uh, was that different? I'm not sure who was booking ECW back then, if Paul Heyman was involved. But if it, if it was, how, how was it different? the way it was brought to me and, and 
after a while, you know, uh, Vince McMahon becomes incredibly insulated. And if you don't have a direct pipeline or a rapport with him, then you're really just going to have to deal with his soldiers. I always try to have some type of direct contact with him. Again, that goes back to my father. You know, look, you want to you want to know something? You go to the man himself. Don't deal with the underlings. And uh, one day Vince stops in the hall and goes, what are we doing with you? And this was a couple of years. You know, I'd been there and I, I didn't have an answer. And then one of the writers came to me and said that in a meeting, Vince McMahon said, you know, we're moving Matt Stryker to ECW and I want him to to be a focal part of it. And for all I know, he could have forgotten it 20 minutes later. And that Vince has a tendency to do that. So they came to me and they said, listen, we're doing this new thing, ECW, and, and you're going to be a part of it. And again, opportunity. Sure. Ooh, I'm going to be I'm going to be on a show. Ooh, I'm going to be a big part of something. I get to be on TV every week. Cool. And it allowed my my uh, antagonist, or I guess the term is heel character, to really flourish. Because again, uh, straight-laced and teacher and proper, and here comes ECW Extreme. And my first feud was with Sandman. And oh, he drinks alcohol, and I prefer milk, and tables are for test-taking, not for smashing people through, and things of that nature. That's fantastic. Um Elijah Burke was a guest on uh, this podcast uh, about six months ago, and I know that you were in a match uh, as a partner with him at WrestleMania 23. He talked uh, that 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 was your first WrestleMania, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. He talked about being overwhelmed, uh, almost emotional before he went out for that match. Uh, uh, tell me about your WrestleMania experience. I, it's the one thing. Well, there's two things on my bucket list that have never got been checked off. One is uh, announcing at Madison Square Garden. The other one is uh, being a, a part of a WrestleMania. The second one will never happen, and the first one uh, <laughs> probably never happened either. Uh, so, but that's fine. But but I always like to to ask guys about you know their first WrestleMania experience because it's such a big deal. You know professionally and you know the fact that there's 80,000 people out there in the arena you know well first and foremost I always and again it goes back to my dad I was able to keep myself in check I understand that there are x amount of minutes on this show and every single minute equates to to x amount of dollars first and foremost Uh, if memory serves correct I think Undertaker had gone on right before us so they had cut our time right and once again, as I'm in the, the, you know, they call it the gorilla position. I'm right there in the curtain before I walk out and this calm comes over me and just this, this piece where I'm almost floating and it, it's almost scary because you should be incredibly nervous. You should be aware of 80,000 people, but I wasn't, I was just so, okay, we have X minutes Let's get this done. And to uh, Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam's credit, I had been wrestling against them quite a bit leading up to the match. And they began to endorse me and almost give me this this captainship or ring generalship of, sir, when I tell you, I knew every single guy in that match their 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 assignment where they were supposed to be what move what's supposed to happen here what's supposed to happen there maybe it's i'm a control freak but it gave me such a calm to know okay you go here you do this guys let's cut this out and calling things on the fly is a term we use where hey guys let's be organic let's see what happens here and all of the moments that they still replay from that match 
I'm very, I'm humbled and I'm thankful. It's me getting my ass kicked. It's me taking a kick from Rob Van Dam. It's me taking a monkey flip. It's the finish came on me, things like that. So it was a fantastic experience. And it's one that I'm incredibly grateful for because guys spend their whole careers, like you said, never even, they have to buy a ticket to go to be at WrestleMania. I was at four and five uh, as, a, as a fan. <laughs> uh, and But my dad bought the ticket uh, and, and brought and brought like three Time magazines. He waited three <laughs> weeks to read it. Hey, uh, you need to find a way to bottle up that calmness and like put it in a bottle and sell it because you'll be like a multimillionaire. I mean, because, you know, all the people that get nervous in, in situations like that, it's, uh, it's a shame you can I'm being sarcastic, but it's a shame you yeah. can't find a way to, to put make that into a pill. Uh, well, I don't know. If, see, you can, ooh, you say don't say pill. Ooh, you're so bad. But it's interesting. Um, a lot of your listeners know Ricky Steamboat. He's and been Ricky on the show. So, so Ricky would always tell a story that his 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 famous match with Randy Savage at WrestleMania was move for move, moment for moment, scripted. And there were times where Randy would walk up to Rick and say to Ricky Steamboat and say. Uh, we're 16 minutes into the match. Move 347. What what are we doing? And Ricky would have to memorize it. On the other side, Steamboat's matches with Flair, they never talked about anything, if not the end, which is either going to be a cross body block or a figure four leg lock, yeah, sure. basically. And that's what I think people should really realize. I see a lot of wrestlers now, and they go through their six-minute match they spend more time going through the match than actually in the ring. And the match looks like they planned every single thing versus the two guys that are sitting at opposite ends of the dressing rooms and really don't say two words to each other. And that's the match that people really buy into. So I think that might lend itself to that calming pill that you're talking about or just smoke the pot. <laughs> it's funny when you do this for over a year and you speak to so many different people, the same kind of topics keep coming up. Two weeks ago, we had Scott Hall on and uh, we had a conversation about the fact that he was just at NXT as a trainer and he's talking about how they, you know, go over their match pretty much move for move. And he said he didn't want to be one of those old, uh, you know, whiny ex-wrestlers, you know, who's complaining about that's not how we did it back in my day. He understood that, that things changed. But it's uh, I remember when I went back to Impact for a short time when uh, Scott Demore and Jeff took over and I'm, I'm looking at, at the ring and every single match is there discussing their entire playing out their entire match. And I looked at Scott and I said, does everybody plan things out move for move? Cause I couldn't even remember half that stuff. Uh, <laughs> I said, does everybody plan things out move for move? And he still looked at me and goes, that's how it is now. He said, everybody, but Alberto and who I would go out and have the best match every night at TV, Alberto freaking Del Rio. So, uh, I don't know what that says, but but it's amazing. And I, I like the fact that you talk about organic in wrestling. I'm a big fan of organic things. Uh, my, my favorite moments, both as a fan and, and, and being part of the business, are moments that were organic. Uh, when Flair came out and joined the Four Horsemen, and while, it, you know, and him and Bish, Bischoff came back, he goes, you know, fire me. I'm already fired, you know, the, uh, and went off on that promo. is one of my favorite things. And even... Even I'm curious to, to uh, see what you think. Even the reunification a couple of months ago of the Shield, while uh, you know, uh, I remember I was watching I don't know cable news or something, and I'm 
perusing on Twitter, and all of a sudden they said the Shield got back together. So I always DVR Raw and fast forward if I, there's anything I want to see. And uh, and so uh, that's like the first thing that had gotten my attention on Raw in like two months. And so I, I I immediately put it on and rewound and. That was organic while it was, you know, obviously it was planned. The fans weren't, you know, weren't directing it. And all of a sudden, those same fans that were booing for Roman Reigns for two years were cheering because the Shield was back together. And that, that's the kind of stuff I don't know that, that you know, to me, that, that gives you goosebumps in this business. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Yeah, and sadly, those moments are few and far between. Exactly. But what's interesting to me looking at, at WWE's product and seeing it from, so during my time there as a wrestler, fine, as an announcer, fine, behind the scenes, looking at the producers, looking at the TV truck, things like that. You really get a sense of the, the business aspect of it. And the WWE fan for the most part, usually going to be the rabid ones. They're the kids. Sure. And and a, a, a psychology of someone 25 and under is incredibly different from the psychology of someone 25 and over. You look at what they did it all in looking in the crowd. That was mainly I'm using air quotes, adult males, usually with a lot of facial hair and a black T-shirt. And the psychology is different. The Ring of Honor fans psychology is going to be different than the WWE fans psychology. So you can create organic moments. It just might be a little easier to do it for the younger fan or the fan that just wants to be there. That's another big thing. You, you have a lot of wrestling fans that sit there with their arms folded. They're so silly. They paid their money. You're going to sit there and not want to be a part of it. Okay. I still got your money. Exactly. And then there's the fan that goes, I want to be here. I want to buy this t-shirt. I want to cheer. And, and that's the difference. Yeah, my favorite WWF events, E events were always the Royal Rumble and the WrestleMania and the, and then uh Raw after WrestleMania because I found those were the two most organic shows of people not knowing on the internet or the cheat sheets back in the day what was going to happen. So, you know, I always find myself wanting to be surprised, but uh, uh we live in a world where uh almost everything you know in advance. But I I'm really I really dig the fact that you uh that you so appreciate the organic moments. Cause I think that's a lost art in this business. I, I agree. And I, I also think that it maybe it lends itself to, so I'm a big baseball and hockey fan. I always have been. I know that the pitcher is going to throw a fastball and I know the batter loves to hit fastballs, but I don't know if he's going to connect on this one. And that's something that's never going to change. You look at wrestling today, unless the wrestler hits his signature finishing maneuver Nine times out of 10, that match isn't over. So what we've done is we've taken away what's called the false finish, where in the first match, SD Jones won with a sunset flip. So in the main event, when, and I'm dating myself here, when Bob Backlund hits the sunset, she'd think, well, that, that move ended match one. There's a chance it could end this one, but that's not the case anymore. We wait for the finishing maneuver. No one buys the sunset flip anymore. The DDT is, is a opening spot. Yeah. I remember when, uh, just the suplex was a, uh, was a finishing maneuver, you know, just a side suplex sure. and, uh, yeah, Greg, Greg Valentine, Harley race, legitimate tough guys. They use that move to win matches. 
Yeah, it's. We, I seem to be going off. Uh, I'm, I'm. I must not have taken my ADD medication today. So I seem to be going off topic a lot. I apologize to the it's listeners okay. and to you for that. Uh, as a big baseball fan, and this has nothing to do with anything. Uh, I'm just curious. What What do you think of the Rays this year as the season winds down? Tampa Rays. Yeah, I'm a big Rays fan. Okay. So uh, you should be thrilled because up until I think uh, seven days ago, they technically were still in the wild card hunt for, for a sure. team that had that had nothing. They they played incredibly well. Of course, everyone, uh, Kevin Kiermaier, yeah, yeah. But uh, Tommy Pham came over from St. Louis and was crushing the ball. And you have to love Blake Snell. And you have to love what this team has done now with as far as uh, using guys to, to pitch two innings and then bring another guy in for – two innings and Sergio Romo, no one saw him coming. Now you'll see, I bet you in the playoffs, you're going to see other teams are going to borrow from the Rays as far as, you know, your, your starter can go three innings because now the game is a bullpen game. Sure. So uh, I, I think uh, for it's, it's a shame that no one goes to the games, honestly, but if you love baseball, you really should like, uh, like the Tampa Rays. Yeah, it was funny. They were talking last night about how the Yankees, uh, when we taped this obviously a couple of days early, but they were talking last night about how the Yankees, uh, because their starting pitching hasn't been great, were thinking about uh, starting with the bullpen and seeing how it goes, which is uh, something that, that that happened with uh, the Rays this year, the opener. Uh, what, what do you think the chances that Blake Snell wins the, the Cy Young, and what do you th- do you think he deserves it? In a perfect world, he certainly deserves consideration, without a doubt. I, th- I think it's a shame that they're not going to look at him because of the team's record. But listen, we've had relievers win the Cy Young. It hasn't happened in a while. But uh, I, I think if you look at the American League, and everyone was looking at, at Chris Sale, but that shouldn't be the case. Corey Kluber may be the uh, the chalk, as we say in the betting world. But I think that, that Blake Snell, I would not be surprised, and I would not be upset if Blake Snell got the Cy Young. Okay, for those of you who hate baseball and uh, and and uh, listen to this podcast to hear about wrestling, we apologize for that. Uh, that is all my <laughs> fault. Now back to a regularly scheduled program. Folks, as we've talked about pro wrestling, it's one thing to see on television, but it's a totally different experience to see it in a live venue. The electricity is just something that cannot be replicated on TV. Same for your favorite college football rivalry. Same for the NFL games. Same for the farewell concerts that seem to be going on. Everybody's saying goodbye. Uh, For 20 years, they say goodbye. But there's a lot of great stuff going on out there as far as live entertainment. And we all do love a night out. And with that, Vivid Seats. We've talked about before is a great online event ticket marketplace dedicating to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime with vivid seats. Listeners here could watch their favorite teams, their favorite artists and their favorite wrestlers perform in person. As I just said, there is nothing like being in person at a live event and vivid seats helps you find your seats to any of your favorite events. And the cool thing is you can sort by price or look for seats in the section of row in your choice. To make things even better, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats to save even more money. 
Do what I did. Go to the App Store or Google Play. Download the Vivid Seats app. That way it's always handy and right there waiting for you. Use promo code INFLUENCE, I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E, INFLUENCE, for 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer's guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and your favorite pro wrestling events survivor series is coming up in the new japan ring of honor super show sold out in madison square who knows you might just see me there but uh, i'm crossing my fingers and my toes i might have a bucket list thing to check off but vivid seats has it all download the app enter promo code influence for 10 percent off your first purchase with vivid seats make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let vivid seats help you get to your favorite live event once again, go to the App Store or Google Play, download the app, and use Vivid Seats today. So how did you transition to the color commentator? How did that happen? Uh, were you happy with it? Uh, did you still want to wrestle? So when Vince McMahon asks you to do something, you say yes. <laughs> Before he could even finish the sentence, I said yes. And as a kid, I used to have a, a wrestling federation with my G.I. Joe figures. And I would call <laughs> I would call matches into a tape recorder. My mother still has the cassette tape Dude, somewhere. Me and you have so much in common. It's you know, you're much better looking and much more athletic. But other than that, it's kind of, it's it's almost scary how much we have in common, but go ahead. So and, and I'm I'm sure there are others out there that if they came up in this time, you understand kids today, they have so much to entertain them. We, you know, my generation, your generation had to use our imagination. So uh, I was always calling wrestling matches and reading wrestling magazines and imitating the Gordon Solis and the Tony Schiavone's and even the Dave Penzers. Wow. And uh, so when, when they said to me, Hey, you know, we're going to throw you on commentary. I said, okay. And honestly, again, it's like I was born to do it. I was comfortable. I was excited. Never once did I say, yeah, but I want to wrestle or I think I could be into No, no, no. Shh. Just go sit over there and be a part of something. Otherwise, you can go and sit in catering and be a part of nothing. So there you go. Absolutely. As everything, it seems like you embraced it and were successful at it. Uh, at one point, and I've been, this is the part I've been waiting to ask you for uh, months because we had Tyrus on, uh, and uh, he told us some inside stuff about NXT. And then I, I, I had some conversations with EC3. He's not allowed on the podcast because of being in NXT, uh, WWE contract. But uh, so the NXT competition, you went to hosting that. Uh, first of all, t talk about that. Uh, from what Tyrus and, and others have said, nobody really paid attention to that. So it was a totally kind of different atmosphere with no pressure. Did you feel that way as well? Well, you know, again, I, I never pressure can only you don't be have pressure. pressure. If, I forgot if you allow if you allow it to be pressure. Otherwise, it can be inspiration. It, it, it's just all the words we use and then the words we tell ourselves. I'm, I'm big into to NLP, which is basically just, you know, positive speaking and things like that. Don't say I can't say I'll try or say I will. Um, but secret I knew that NXT was the brainchild of the executive vice president of television. There you go. So if it's his idea and it's his baby and he personally came to me and said, look, we think you've got the chops to do this. We need a host. Originally, it was supposed to be like American Idol. It was supposed to be like a legit thing where fans would vote or whatever. But after two weeks, they changed all that. 
I had a great time. It allowed me as well as the other guys and stars were born from that show. Daniel Bryan, Wade Barrett, uh, Brodus Clay or Tyrus EC3. You, Theris, you go back and you watch the early shows and a lot of your major stars came from that show. It allowed all of us to show the brass, the powers that be, look what we can do. And if we're not overproduced and, and we're not, you know, under these guidelines, we can provide, here comes this word again, organic entertainment. And it was so much fun. Tyrus talked about how uh, not only were people going into business for themselves, but they were swerving each other. Do you remember that stuff going on during that season? No, I was always very big on, and I guess, I guess this came from Roddy Piper and to an extent Jerry Lawler. I don't want to know what's going to happen. I don't want to know the finish. I don't want to know what, if you're planning something, just do it and let me react organically. So no, I wasn't privy to any of, as you say, going into business for themselves or sort of, you know, tricking anyone. Not at all. So you're officially denying that you helped Tyrus uh, by giving him uh, the cues in the pinata contest. What am I, Donna Brazil? <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I don't recall. I do know that uh, Tyrus and I, that's, that's a good one, huh? Yeah. Uh, Tyrus and I got along very well. Uh, we still do to this day. I think what he's doing with his career is fantastic. So um, I, I can't deny, nor can I can confirm. Maybe, maybe I can be a Supreme Court judge. But uh, uh. again. Cyrus deserved everything he got on his own merit. It, it goes to this. You see a guy like Tyrus walking down the street and you elbow your friend and you say, that guy's somebody. Yep. He's either a wrestler or a football player. There are some guys you see now walking down the street and you go, didn't I see you at the supermarket? Like wrestlers should have something special about them when they walk in a room. You don't have to be the biggest guy in the world, but it has to be something special about you. Yeah, Jimmy Hart always always talks about to this day how uh, you could put Hulk Hogan in an airport with the Fu Manchu mustache and the bandana against almost anybody, no matter how big a star they are, and pe- more people are going to recognize Hulk than recognize a movie star or, or Taylor Swift or anybody like that just because of how he carries himself. Absolutely. So what do you remember about the Daniel Bryan EC3, uh, Derek Bateman at the time? Uh, how well do you know about, uh, how well do you know your pro? Uh, wh- at what point did you realize that, 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 that was a con? I, <laughs> I, I knew Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, American dragon from the independent scene. So I was always kind of rooting for those guys, but I, I didn't know, and again, I didn't want to know what was a quote-unquote con or what was real or whatever. I just knew that it was my job to keep the show moving and get everything done in under an hour. <laughs> At some point, though, when do you remember the segment I'm talking about? I do not. Oh, I guess him and, uh, and Bateman had planned the answers out in advance that they were going to have the same answer no matter what the question was. So oh, you, sounds good. you should actually go back and look at it. Uh, it's easy to find. And, uh, and, and yeah, so you would ask some ridiculous Tyrus actually smartened us up to it when he was on, uh, you would ask a ridiculous question and, uh, you know, they would, the pro would have to write their, their, what they thought. 
and the NXT guy would have to write what they thought the pro was going to write. Nobody got it right most of the time, except for because they had planned out ahead of time, no matter what the question was, this is what the answer was going to be, uh, that, that they had said that they were going to say the same thing. So they got like everyone. And it's funny to see you, as, as you s- sort of uh, realize halfway through, uh, you s- got it kind of smartened up to the game that they were playing. So uh, yeah, you might want to go back and watch that. It's entertaining. I would have never known about that if we didn't have Tyrus on. And, and I agree, he's doing great stuff in his career and uh, as a good friend. Uh, so what 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 was the reason you left WWE? It sounds like uh, um, you know by WWE standards, it seemed like everybody was, loved you, and and you know you were doing <laughs> you were doing commentary, which it's over there. It's always tough for them to find uh, good commentary people. So uh, so what went wrong, or maybe well, nothing went wrong. I wouldn't say they loved me. I, I certainly had my, uh, you know, it's called heat. I certainly had my, yeah, my issues. I, I, I had my heat back uh, uh, in the day as well and, and probably but, still um, now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think Shawn Michaels had told me if, if you don't have heat in the back and you don't have heat out with the people, you ain't hot. So I was like, okay. But uh, so I, I think I was coming up on my third cycle of contract and they were ready to, to give me a new contract. And I put on a nice suit and I drove up to Connecticut and they were going through a lot of budget cuts. And, and I was, listen, I was making a lot of money and I really wasn't doing a lot. And if I put myself in their shoes from a business perspective, I would have let me go as well. The thing that, that troubled me was they never even said to me, listen, we're going to give you a pay cut or listen, we want you to, to sweep the floors or we want you to, there was never an option other than we're just going in a different direction. And I was, I was heartbroken. It's like your, your, your best girlfriend breaking up with you. I couldn't understand it. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say I went back into my car and I cried like a child and um, you know, so financial as well as, you know, not having something for me and, Again, after a while, show me the the pretty, and this might be sexist, but there's an old saying, show me the prettiest girl in the world, I'll show you a guy that's tired of sleeping with her. After a while, if they've seen me enough and they've done everything they can with me and they can have someone else come and do the same job, maybe not as well, for a fraction of the price, a new face, a younger face, a more diverse face, then then they're going to say goodbye. And that's been about five or six years, but ago, but I, I still, I still speak with the people there and I, they always say the door is still open, but you know, right now I'm, I'm with Lucha Underground, I'm with Major League Wrestling. So we'll see. You want to hear God laugh? Tell them your plans. So I don't have any plans. <laughs> so as you said, you're doing uh, a, a lot of international projects as well as Lucha Underground and MLW. Uh, I want to talk about it one by one. And, and if you could give me any insider stories as to, you know, how it, one is different from the other. I know that you work uh, periodically for New Japan Pro Wrestling. How is uh, that must be like a dream come true. But how is that? And uh, uh, how, how enjoyable is that? Well, working for New Japan at the time was incredibly enjoyable. And this was right when they were really starting to get incredibly hot. And um, New Japan is the cool kids wrestling now. You know, it's, oh, oh, you watch WWE while well, I watch Okada. It's, it's, a, it's more of a hipster thing. And that, that's fantastic because there's a whole new revenue stream now for the sport of pro wrestling. But once Ring of Honor, I'm sorry, once New Japan began to really establish its relationship with the Ring of Honor, they started to use their Ring of Honor personnel. 
and, and that you know it's where the Kevin Kellys of the world kind of kind of came in and things like that. So there there wasn't a place for me because my affiliation was with Lucha Underground, which has an affiliation with AAA, and New Japan has an affiliation with CMLL. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. And so uh, Kevin and I believe it's it's Don Callis who are doing a fantastic job. Uh, they're, they're the voices now for New Japan. But my time there, I got to work with Jim Ross in the Tokyo Dome. And again, just check it off your list. Exactly. I, I, someone, someone came up to me at a show and uh, said, do you know you're the answer to a trivia question? I said, yeah, I'm sure I am. They said, no, no, no. It's can you name the only announcer to ever call a WrestleMania, a Triple Mania and a, and a Wrestle Kingdom? And the answer is Matt Stryker. So that's my claim to fame. That's but cool. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. And and I think the, the style of wrestling there in New Japan is is fantastic. And I'm noticing, again, from a business standpoint, they are making inroads here in the U.S. And their matches are starting to reflect that. They're having more of a Western style of wrestling with Cody and the Bullet Club and these kind of guys. And it's interesting to see the dichotomy between the, the Tanahashi-Naito matches and the Kenny Omega matches. So there's something for everyone, and I'm, I'm incredibly happy for them. You're a Northeast guy. How surprised were you when they sold out Madison Square Garden with Ring of Honor that quickly? Or maybe you uh, surprised. weren't surprised. Surprised, no. Uh, you know, again, you look at it from the business standpoint and how did they do that and what's going on there. But I think the fan base is there. And, of course, it, it, I believe it's over WrestleMania weekend, so you have a, a huge international fan base coming. And, and it, it doesn't surprise me. I think it's wonderful. Uh, I'm curious to know about the relationship between WWE and Madison Square Garden, because I know that for such a long time there was a, a relationship and an exclusivity. So I just wonder if this will be something that happens again and again. But either way, it, it's fantastic. Word on the street, and uh, I wouldn't swear to this, but word on the street is they were hot, that uh, they do all their major pay-per-views now from uh, from the Barclay Center. And, uh, and they're doing the... The post WrestleMania, uh, the NXT show, uh, and the the post WrestleMania SmackDown and Raw from the Barclays Center. So, uh, word on the street is that's what opened up the opportunity for them to take other uh, promotions. And you also, again, the, the fans don't know what's the revenue share deal like between Barclays and WWE. What was it like with with the MSG and things like that? There's so much. Listen, <laughs> I don't think that Vince McMahon and WWE make a single dollar off the wrestling. Let's be honest. They make it off of the licensing and the marketing and, and, and the business. Sure. It's all about the business. Listen, Barclays, you can't park. It's, it's, it's a pain to get to. There's no real reason why they'd want to run shows there unless it was financially favorable for them to do so. Yeah, and you would be more familiar with this than I am, being a Northeast guy. But apparently, and I don't know why, because it's 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 still the same city. But apparently, in Manhattan, uh, the cost of labor is like sky high to run Madison Square Garden uh, versus Barclays Center. Uh, I've just heard that a lot from people like Gary Juster and 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 other people that are involved in that. So uh, I'm not sure why that is, but that's that's what I've heard. Um, Tell me about Lucha Underground. I'll be honest with you. I've never seen an episode of Lucha Underground. I've heard a lot of cool stuff about it. 
heard it totally different than anything has really ever been on there. It has like a, a telenovela soap opera feel. Uh, tell me a little bit about it and uh, and how the it's how you know it might be different doing commentary in that scenario versus uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling or a WWE. Lucha Underground is a television show about a wrestling company. Ah. That is the main difference. I'm an actor. If you look at the credits, it's my real name there. So I'm an actor playing who's reprised the role of Matt Stryker, your professional wrestling announcer. And yes, I do make, I mean, gosh, last week I made a Don Leo Jonathan reference. Where else are you going to get that? <laughs> you know, so, but it's a television show and the, and the, 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 the quote unquote vignettes are, are complete. We have a guy that travels through time. We have a, a shapeshifter woman. We have uh, a, a wrestler who is dead but comes back to life i mean there's it's on netflix it's a television show just like breaking bad is the difference between calling a lucha underground and new japan is new japan is a sport and and a lot of people like to use in this business brother it's a sport don't call it a business unless it's a business so calling new japan you're calling it like a sport same thing with mlw major league wrestling i'm calling it like a sports announcer sportscaster on Lucha Underground, I'm an actor that is part of a television show. How much of the in, in that vein? How much of that? And I got to take a look at that. I I never really uh, knew that that was the what they did. I, I knew that it was you know compared to soap opera and stuff, but I never realized it was a television show about a professional wrestling company. It kind of sounds intriguing, actually. Now that you put it that way, but. Uh, how much of your commentary, obviously they didn't script Don Leo Jonathan unless Mike Tanay <laughs> took over as, as head no. writer. But, uh, but how much, you know, it being a television show, how much of it is scripted of your play-by-play uh, -play, uh, is scripted versus uh, regular, a regular wrestling event? Well, we've been, we're into our fourth season now, so I've had to earn the trust of the powers that be. And it, it's a television show that's edited. If there's anything I ever say that they don't want there, it won't make air. I mean, there's plenty that Vampiro says that does not make air. <laughs> but uh, as long as I am driving home the story plots and the storyline arcs, that's what they're really concerned about. Other than that, I, my personality shines through here and there. And there are times where it can be grating and annoying, but I'm an antagonist. It's my role. I was always told the, the heels, the bad guys, don't sign autographs and things like that. And a lot of times, I think in wrestling now, people have broken down that fourth wall. I still love the fact that Dr. Death Steve Williams, God rest his soul, he uh, did a, a, an angle where he broke his arm and he had to take time off. He broke his arm because he was getting married. He got married with a cast on his arm. Love it. So essentially he worked, fooled his wife, the priest, all the wedding guests because there was something called kayfabe, which meant something. And nowadays people go, all right, I know it's all phony. I know it's all scripted, but that guy might really be hurt or that guy might really be a jerk. Chief J Strongbow was not a native American. He was an Italian guy named Joe Scarpa. Like let, let's be honest. And but, Billy and Billy White Wolf was chief Adnan Al Casey. He was really uh, from Iraq. So, you know, it's things like that, but 
if you can keep a small, just a modicum of maybe, just maybe, that is real, then, then I think that's the respect that guys like Roddy Piper and Dusty Rhodes and Dr. Dusty Williams, rest their soul, that, that busted their butts and didn't get to see their kids grow up and really just you know, made it a point to protect what, listen, I'm sitting in my house now because of those guys. I owe it to them to at least try to keep it up. So talk talk to me about MLW. You're you're calling that with Tony Schiavone. That must be you know knowing your story now that I know it. It must be a pretty cool opportunity. Tell me a little bit about that promotion and uh, how you got involved there. Well, I've now had the opportunity to sit next to and call matches with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. There you go. Like honestly, just put me in the ground now. Oh, don't. But yeah. Um, a friend of mine, again, a name that comes up again is Court Bauer. Court Bauer. Who was the person that called me for the Kurt Angle thing. Uh, called me for MLW, and we've known each other. I was I wrestled for the original incarnation of MLW. And uh, Court said that he wants Major League Wrestling to be called as a sport. And it's not so much the names of the moves. It's why did he choose a hip toss there? And why did he position himself at that portion of the ring for the clothesline? And he said, you know, I, I think you're the guy for it. So I came in and, and we called a show called Battle Riot. And I had no format, no notes. I didn't want to know any. Oh, I, I call my finisher the, the, you know, the Johnny Dive Bomb. What <laughs> is it? It's a body slam, but I call, no, no, no. Then it's a body slam. And you can call it whatever you want. It's a body slam. And uh, Tony and I called it, and uh, I said to Tony on the air, I said, I could listen to him read the back of a shampoo bottle, and I'd be intrigued. So just to have his his tone lending itself to the aura of the show and allowing me to call the sports as they are, that, that to me, I'm loving MLW. And I think the next show is coming up uh, Thursday, October 4th in New York. So... Uh, God willing, I live and be well. I'll be there. Out of, there's a lot of young talent in in MLW. Out of all the young talent that's that's there, who do you think uh, who really stands out as future superstars? The, the guy that stands out to me is Filthy Tom Waller. Yeah, and I hear a reason, lot about him. The reason he stands out to me is because you can't beat him up in real life. That you know, you mentioned how everyone was booing Roman Reigns for so long. I think a lot of it is that he was wrestling Brock Lesnar. No, but I, I know Roman Reigns. Joe's a great guy, good-looking guy, big dude, has overcome adversity. He can't beat up Brock Lesnar if Brock Lesnar was asleep. <laughs> so, of course, there's. it's the same thing with guys like, like Fit Finley. I, 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 just, I always said I want to be Fit Finley when I grow up. One of, my best, one of my best friends, by the way. God bless him. But you can't beat him up on no. your best day times two. Can't out-drink him either. <laughs> you know what? I'm, with a drink in his hand, he'll beat your ass. <laughs> so... The point is, Tom Lawler is of this ilk because you can't beat him in in any walk of life. So as an announcer, everything he does has credibility. Everything I say is going to be very easy. And and I love guys like that. Uh, from the pro wrestling side, there's a guy named Barrington Hughes, who he's got a little Bugsy McGraw in him. He's got a little Norman the Lunatic in him. You know, he's just, he's fun. And I think it's okay for the sport of wrestling to be fun as well as be valid. Sure. 
Yeah. Uh, how long till you think uh, Tom Lawler goes to uh, WWE NXT? I don't know. I don't know what his contract situation is. And I know that NXT just uh, signed a, a friend of mine, Matt Riddle. Who's yeah, I was going to mention that. The word we use is legit. And, you know, and listen, legit back in the day was, was Dick Slater and Haku. And they weren't MMA guys, but they were legit. So uh, I think it would be interesting to see how a Tom Lawler would fit square peg round hole into the NXT matrix. So I don't know, but I do see what WWE is doing. They are taking guys that are making waves and plucking them. If they have no intention of using them on a high level in WWE, the intention is you won't be drawing money for the other guy. And that that's, that's the whole thing. They have, they have Tommy Ciampa and Johnny Gargano and Ricochet and things like that. Are, are those guys ever going to main event WrestleMania? They can, but is that WWE's intention? Or is it WWE's intention to take them away from Ring of Honor, away from Lucha Underground? That's the business side of it. Poaching. Well, I, I hope Ricochet main events for WrestleMania someday or else well, I'm going to look like a fool because I've been touting him for... Uh, oh, it's fantastic. For, yeah, uh, unbelievable. And... Uh, uh, I saw him at WrestleCade a couple years ago for the first time and totally blew me away. Uh, and uh, I'm so glad they're letting him use the name. And, and I don't know. I, uh, you know the WWE and the business much better than I do, that side of it. But, uh, you know, I think now with AJ Styles and, and, and uh, you know, some of these guys getting uh, legitimate chances, I, I, I think there might be a chance for a guy like a Ricochet. So, uh I, I would hope so, and I think a lot of fans would hope so as well. And depending on where WWE moves in the next ten years, if it if it moves into the Triple H mindset, then then yes, we can see that. And and those guys are intriguing because there's a little kid at home that isn't going to be six foot five and three hundred pounds, and that little kid can relate to the the smaller or more athletic wrestler it's the same thing when tiger mask and dynamite kid did what they did in madison square garden in the early 80s a whole new wave of fans said oh look there's someone i can relate to so yes i, I hope they do as well absolutely and even ray mysterio and eddie guerrero and those guys in the in the 90s as well so Talking about, to, to wrap this one up a little bit, talking about a, without uh, uh, going out there without a script and a, a format, talk to me about your time in AAA and Triple Mania. Uh, uh, how is that different? Uh, I actually once saw, uh, for, I actually was in uh, Tijuana, Mexico a couple of months ago, and uh, AAA was there, and Conan invited me to come down and, so I'm sitting back, you know, by the production and, you know, next to the stage watching the show and uh, the semi-main event came on and Conan comes out and we were talking. He looks at me, he goes, you don't have a fucking clue what, what you're watching, do you? And I'm like, uh, not really. I couldn't figure out why nobody was every match seemed to be a no DQ match. And uh, but uh, but it's certainly different and it's entertaining and it has a, a, a passionate, rabid fan base. Tell me about uh, working for them as opposed to a New Japan or a Major League Wrestling or a WWE. Well, you mentioned one of my personal favorites is Conan. And again, yeah, just because his mind, the way he thinks and the way he speaks, I love psychology. 
I'm very big into I, I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago. I would love to see someone work a chin lock, sit in a rear chin lock for 12 minutes and have the underneath guy, the guy in the chin lock, struggle to get out of that chin lock. And then finally, the high spot would be big part of the match is that he escaped the chin lock. If it's done right, I think today's crowd would still react favorably. And it's all about psychology. So the, the, the hard thing for me is that Conan and my broadcast partner, Vampiro have an animosity that is palpable. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know. I know. It's scary sometimes. Like, I, I haven't I seen it lately, move. but I was I was right there oh, for boy. a lot of it in WCW and then even the XWF tapings. I mean, wow. So uh, at, at AAA, this, this last show, again, Conan being the amazing mind that he is, we sat down for 10 minutes. He ran down the card. He said, I don't care what you say, but I need you to get over these points about these people and go do your thing. As far as Vampiro goes... We don't plan a thing. I Listen, Vampiro is insane. <laughs> Ian, the guy that plays Vampiro, see, that's the difference in pro wrestling. You see a Vampiro walking down the street and you go, oh, look, there's Vampiro. You don't go, oh, look, there's Ian Hodgkins. This is the only form of entertainment where that happens. You don't see Tom Hanks walking down the street and go, oh, look, there's Forrest Gump. You go, no, look, there's Tom Hanks. That, to me, is the interesting aspect. There are two people in that body of Vampiro and Ian. Vampiro is a, he belongs in pro wrestling. He is a wild card if there ever were, was one. But Ian is a father and a son, and, and, and that's the guy that I'm friendly with. Sure. Nothing to do with Vampiro. But to work at AAA is exciting for me because, again, I'm left to my own devices. The fans are absolutely insane it's it's old school if you will and the matches don't really have a lot of structure and that's the beauty of it because we're just so used to the 9 to 10 12 minute match where the ending is this and everyone has an entrance everyone has a lighting cue everyone has a catchphrase and the fans all say it with it's not the way it is down in Mexico it it still has a a throwback purity to it so I really enjoy it a lot. Uh, my final, well, not my final question, but uh, to wrap things up, how uncomfortable were you? And, and what the heck was, well, what's the backstory on, on Vampiro calling for his music? I actually have seen that a couple times and I watched it again today just so I'd be prepared to ask you. Uh, was that, just just tell, tell me how that all went down. I, I don't even know what to ask. Because <laughs> I know I know Conan and I know Ian and I know Vampiro, you know, and I know their personalities. Uh, so I'm just curious. So uh, so I'm not even so, going to ask a question. Go ahead. <laughs> what a lot of people don't know is that uh, Vampiro wears five hats down there. He's producing. He's agenting. He's running uh, truck cues. He's also doing his best to be an announcer. There's a lot going on. Right. Basically, he was calling for. Uh, he was calling for a cue and he didn't hit what's called the cough button, which kind of mutes him. And even if he did, my mic is so close to his, it's going to pick it up. So I just went into work mode, brother, and keeping kayfabe, brother, and seven-year-old Matthew. I took what was happening and applied it to the situation. So if you want to pick it apart and say, oh, gosh, how could he be doing so unprofessional? You could do that. But it goes back to the fan that 
wants to be there versus the fan that sits with their arms crossed. I saw what was going on. I heard what was going on. And I looked for the best logical approach that I could to explain what's happening in the wrestling world. And again, divine wind, we begin and end with it. It made it fit. And people say, oh man, Matt, you were such a professional. Are you saved that? No, no, I didn't. I just reacted to what was going on. And I think that's the art of what we do. React to what's going on. I made it fit. It seemed to work. It went viral. It gets eyes on AAA. It, it, it was all positive to me. Yeah, no, you handled it great. Uh, I just couldn't imagine being in your shoes and, uh, and and trying to figure out what to do next. I didn't realize he was he had forgotten to hit the cough button. I just thought he was shouting out cues to production on the microphone and maybe didn't realize he was doing it. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so uh, are you going to be calling that big match where uh, the loser retires? I, I certainly hope so. I, I've already put in my two cents. And uh, when it happens, I would love to be there because, listen, there there are a few things left in our sport where you turn to your friend and go, like I said, yeah, that, that was real. And it, it's, it's Bruiser Brody and Lex Luger in the cage or it's, you know, any of these other guys that really punch each other in the face. It's like being in there. Listen, Terry Funk, when he throws punches – there's nothing choreographed about that. So I, I can't wait, if I am, to sit ringside and watch uh, Ian and Carlos, uh, Vampiro and Conan, beat the crap out of each other. And I'd like, I'd like to be a fly on the wall of the negotiations on the finish and the match. and uh... no, such, no such thing. That is, that is the classic, I'll see you out there. <laughs> All right. If you had to choose one, and I know you don't want to pick sides, who's the one that changes the finish in the middle of the ring and does the no, double both, cross? Both of them. No, 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 both of They're going to double cross each other. Listen, uh, people If you always... double cross each other, does that eliminate that being a double cross? I, I, and again, though, think of what the stipulation is, and you're a smart guy, right? Is it loser leaves Mexico, loser leaves AAA or whatever? What if there's no loser? What if it's a no contest? What if it's a double count out? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking I'm putting my Booker hat on now. Ha ha ha. Um, I'm not. Uh, I, I would assume that for such a big show that they were a stipulation that they wouldn't blow it off and not have a, an outcome. Now, whether they whether that that outcome is is uh, upheld for six months or the rest of uh, eternity, that's a totally other question. And uh, and, and one could decide uh you know, I would I would think that there will be a outcome, and I would think that six months later the outcome will probably be ignored. Would you Would you agree with me on that one, Matt? Oh, silly David! <laughs> Look at you trying to assume and figure things out. Listen, uh, Bob Backlund was WWWF champion not because he sold out Madison Square Garden. He was WWWF champion because no one could come in and shoot on him. So with that said, maybe it comes down to who's the better shooter or maybe it comes down to who has a legitimate razor blade under their tongue. I don't know. I like your Booker hat, though. It's always fun. Yeah, hey, that was my Gary Hart reference. right yeah, there. There you go. <laughs> if WWE called tomorrow, I know you say you're still in contact with them and say, come on and join the BR Smackdown commentator. Uh, uh, would you consider it or are you happy doing wearing all these hats that you're wearing now? 
I, I, I love what I'm doing with Lucha Underground. It's a tie-in to MGM and Mark Burnett. I love what I'm doing with Major League Wrestling. But I have to be honest with you. The lifestyle that working for WWE afforded me and allowed me to, to do for my family that's something that I cannot overlook. So yes, when all the contracts run out and if the phone does ring, anyone that, that tells outside of the young bucks and Cody Rose, anyone that tells you that they don't want to go there are lying. The, the money is just too good. The exposure is just too good. It, it's they're the New York Yankees. You know, if you're a baseball player, you, you want to play there. I got to tell you that I've done this now for over a year and I write out a bunch of questions every week for whatever guest I have. And I would say usually about 85% of the time, uh, I kind of have a feeling where the, the conversation's going and what the answer's going to be. I got to tell you, and this is a compliment, in this, in this uh, conversation that we've just had, I've batted about 10%. Uh, you've surprised me at every turn. Uh, you are obviously intelligent when it comes to this business and its history. And I appreciate you giving your time and wish you nothing but the best of luck. And, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, we'll get together like the week before the Conan, uh, uh, Vampiro match and, uh, and, and go, we'll do a little segment where we could go over the list of possible, uh, endings of that match. You know what? You can come sit next to me and call it and you can call for your music and you can hit the <laughs> No, I don't. I don't need any music. I would love to. That would be fun. But uh, <laughs> I, I love. I agree. By the way, a hundred percent what you said about uh, uh, Carlos. And by the way, I believe that. And maybe I'm wrong. I believe if anybody had the cojones, if anybody had the balls to do the chin lock spot for twelve to fifteen minutes, by the time the booing stopped and they finally gave up and they got with it. I believe they'd pop for getting out of the chin lock, but the, I don't think anybody has the cojones to sit there and get abused for that amount of time in, in, in the, 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 the year that we live in. You know what? On my next show, my, my opponent's going to come up to me and say, hey, man, you know, I do all these spots with them. I say, you know what? I'm grabbing a chin lock, and we'll call it out there. And I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Yeah, it's, it's almost something like Randy Orton might, uh, might do. Uh, yeah, but but you see, Randy, now again, we talk about the chin lock. Randy Orton has a fantastic chin lock. It looks like he's really trying to rip your head off, and it's only because he turns his body to the side. Little things like that. A Randy Orton chin lock, I believe it. Matt, hey, if you do that spot, please get somebody to video and I want, and, and, and uh, text me a copy or send it to me on Twitter. Hey, speaking of Twitter, uh, if you, you want to – uh, promote any social media? Where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Matt underscore Striker underscore, but I will say this. I don't tweet a lot about wrestling outside of Lucha Underground or MLW. I'm working with a company called Rotowire. I'm doing fantasy hockey and fantasy baseball. So if you want to talk fantasy sports, hit me up. I'm starting a podcast on fantasy hockey in October, and uh, that's where I'm at. I'm a huge you, – you like fantasy football? Mm, I, I've, I've fallen out of it. I was a Redskins fan. I've fallen out, so no, I'm, I'm not too big on fantasy football. Oh, I was going to say, me and you could have some conversations, but uh, I'm a big fantasy football guy. We've actually had Adam Rank on the show. Uh, oh, he's nice. a big, big wrestling fan. That's uh, one of the hosts of NFL Fantasy Live. It's sure. always it's always good to have a, uh, a back channel to Adam Rank when you have a question about setting your lineup. Uh, <laughs> I, I won all three in my leagues last year. Uh, I don't know if Adam Rank is the reason, but uh, 
But yeah, so if anybody wants to talk fantasy hockey or fantasy baseball, hit up Matt on Twitter. And uh, hey, thanks for your time. Best of luck and uh, look forward to talking to you down the road. I appreciate you. And I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for the business. People don't realize that the ring announcer is the first voice that you hear and the last voice that you hear in a match. It's an incredibly important role. So thank you very much, man. You've been a part of uh, some great memories for a lot of fans. I'm humbled. And have I said how smart of a guy you are? <laughs> no, seriously, you're one of the more intelligent guys in the business, and uh, uh, I'd love to see you maybe in that Booker role down the road somewhere. And uh, if you have aren't already doing that uh, in some promotions, but uh, well, would love uh, best of luck, and uh, thank you for the kind words. I, I'm sort of at a loss for words now. Usually, nobody's putting me over. I'm usually the one getting hammered. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. And thank you to your fans for listening. And uh, I know that we have a friend in common in Jeff Jarrett. So we can talk about that on the next one, too. Absolutely. One of my favorite people. And he's doing great. And uh, I know we we both got to see him in in Chicago uh, about a month ago. So, all right, Matt, great talking to you. And we'll uh, keep in touch. Thanks. Take care. God bless. Bye bye. I want to thank Matt uh, first for the kind words. I'm humbled. Uh, he's told me that before in person, so he's just not kissing my ass. Not that Matt has to kiss anybody's ass. Uh, but uh, interesting interview, and I was 100% serious. Most of the time I have a clue where the direction of the conversation where is going, where the answers uh, are heading, and uh, I, every time I thought I knew uh he was going left he went right or vice versa uh who who goes out to their first wrestlemania has their time cut uh in a match uh with with a bunch of ecw legends and is as calm and cool and collective uh, like i said if you could bottle that uh and sell it uh he will be he would be a billionaire but unfortunately you can't but a smart guy let me know what you think um wish he liked fantasy football because uh he's a big fantasy fan but he seems to have soured on fantasy football i'd have, I'd have made a new uh uh friend uh off off uh podcast friend if he was a fantasy football fan speaking of fantasy football if you are a fantasy football fan um Hit me up on Twitter and let me know how your season's going, and uh, uh, let's talk a little fantasy football. I, I know this is a wrestling podcast, and I normally don't want to inject. Uh, uh, we talked a little baseball today just because uh, it's uh, the end of the season for my Rays, and he happens to be a baseball aficionado, so I wanted to get his take on their season. But uh, uh if you are a fantasy football fan, as you know, if you look at my Twitter handle, I am obsessed with uh, cable news, with the Tampa Bay Rays, and with fantasy football. And now we're smack in the middle of fantasy football season. Lost Jimmy Garoppolo last week in one of my leagues, so uh, that was always fun. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk fantasy football, I'm always happy to hit me up or talk wrestling. I'm always happy to hit me up uh, on Twitter at David Penzer. At Penzer Ringside is the show's website. As always, we look forward to your input, positive or negative. Let us know what you think. Let us know who you want as a guest. Dan, I know that you want Sting, and I'm working on it. And I promise that one of these days we will uh, twist his arm and get Sting to come on the podcast, my good friend Dan, uh, on Twitter. And uh, actually... One of these days, I should tell the story. It's funny. I just thought of Dan. He brought it to my attention. 
I should tell the story about the plane ride from Arizona to Atlanta uh, where I got suspended for, I think, five days from WCW. Uh, they talked about it on Eric and, and Conrad, talked about it on 83 Weeks this past week, and Dan's smartened me up to it. That's the reason I was I thought about it. But uh, uh, I wanted I'm going to – I'm playing phone tag with Conrad to see if he wants to come on and kind of ask me the story since he seems so interested in it. But uh, 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 suffice it to say that uh, I ended up suspended and almost fired from WCW for that plane ride with, in which I didn't do anything really wrong except for prevent myself from getting my butt kicked from Scott Steiner because I was in first class and he was in coach. So that that's a tease for that story. Uh, when Scott Steiner is in coach and you're in first and and Penzer's in first class and Scott Steiner asks you to do something, uh, you do it and you let the chips fall where they may. And they didn't fall very nicely uh, back in 2000 for yours truly. So maybe we'll tell that story. And uh, thanks, Dan, for bringing that to my attention. Hey, I also want to bring to your attention a couple of events coming up, uh, one sooner than later. Uh, got the CWF uh, Fan Fest for... Uh, in Lutz, Florida, on Saturday, November the 3rd. First time ever, limited tickets remain. Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe are doing a Q&A dinner together. Uh, and uh, we're also doing karaoke with Pat Patterson after as an after party. Uh, so uh, also have the Fullers there, Ron and Robert Fuller, and Bugsy McGraw and Leilani Kai. Uh, so uh, if you're in the Tampa area and you or you want to come and meet these legends, it's a very intimate fan fest. Uh, we cap it at 200 people, and the Q&As are capped at 30 to 50 people, depending on which Q&A. So uh, you could go to eventbrite.com and just type in CWF Fan Fest. It'll pop right up if you have any interest. Also, I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago um, uh, before my Scott Hall interview that uh, – uh, the Wrestling Rewind uh, event that I was a part of, and they are planning a huge WCW reunion in uh, 2019 that could be, from what I'm hearing, could be really fun. Uh, they were teasing and doing a Nitro Girls, doing a, a reunion and uh, and putting on a per dance performance is one of the things that they're thinking about doing. So if you're on social media and you want to check out, uh, I'm not a part of that event, but uh, I think it's a cool idea to do a WCW reunion. And uh, so if you want to follow that, it's uh, Wrestling Rewind on Twitter or Facebook, I believe. So I always want to give a good a shout out to them. Uh, they are good people and uh, looking forward to uh, the WCW reunion in 2019. We'll be back next week with another edition of City Ringside. I am talking to somebody who's on my list. I've that I when I started this podcast, I wanted to interview them, and it's been tough sledding to get them this person on. But I think I might have put myself in a perfect situation, perfect time wise, to get this person on City Ringside. So I'm not going to tell you who that is because if it falls through i don't want to put them on the spot but we are looking forward to next week and uh we will have a guest and it will be fun and we want you to spread the word tell your friends and by all means support our sponsors vivid seats and put in the keyword influence i-n-f-l-u-e-n-c-e on your first order get 10 percent off and we appreciate it 
in advance. Until next time, I'm still City Ringside. Take care. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd. Quick fix on Radio Influence. I'm shocked at what ultimately happened. I never, I never saw John Jones getting less than two years. Just, just never, never saw it coming. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of people over the last year or so. Uh, people's opinion in this industry that I value. They, they've never deterred me in the wrong way when I've asked them questions or whatnot. But I, I, I did not talk to anyone outside of the Jones camp that thought he was getting less than two years. I, I was, I was floored when USADA made this announcement. USADA is done. It is absolutely 100% done. And to be honest with you, we can touch on this later, but everyone involved, including California, I, I think, I think maybe, I know California left it to USADA. Um, and at the end of the day, John Jones still has to reapply for his license. So I guess they could very well uh, revoke it for two years, not approve it. But I, I do feel like California may have dropped the ball a little bit in terms of not not just uh, adjudicating this case, even though I guess it was a USADA violation. I don't know. I don't want to focus on California or anybody else. I want to focus on USADA. That's what I want to focus on because they are absolutely done. This is insane. Absolutely stupid. Screams of collusion. And, and you were shocked. And I am shocked, too. But even though I was shocked, I, I don't know if I was surprised. And I know that makes absolutely no sense. But the thing is, it was kind of a laughing matter where you could be like, well, of course, John Jones is going to be is going to get off easy because he's John Jones. You know, that was the way it works. But that's not how a quote unquote anti-doping agency should work, especially when you're talking about an anti-doping agency. That is what it's funded by the UFC. The, the, the test is it not. So when you have a deal uh, funded by a promotion and this this agency comes up with BS reasons to allow the t- one of the top draws for the promotion that pays you, uh, when you give him time off uh, his suspension, which maybe should be four years, to be completely honest with you, if you look at the the vi- the uh, you know the violations, um, when that happens, it loses all integrity. And here's the worst part, Jason: if you are going to ruin the careers of fighters like Tom Lawler, like Josh Barnett, the MMA report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.